Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that we can gather in your name, knowing that we are Christians, that we have the name of Christ upon us because of his work at the cross. Lord, we pray that we may be able to exalt him this morning as we feed upon your word together. Lord, we pray that the work of Jesus Christ may become all the more clear and all the more real to us this morning as we look at your word and what your word says about him. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I always find it is nice when someone pays your bills for you, when someone pays what you owe. Just before Christmas, I was looking at uh, acquiring a particular set of books uh, that I was quite interested in. Basically, it's a collection of all the Reformation confessions, so a whole series of confessions that were written uh, from the Ref- over the Reformation period have been bundled together in four large volumes uh, with a fresh translation of them and a little bit of a commentary about each one. And I had my eye on these for a while, but the price of them always made me a little reluctant to purchase them, even though I know that they'll be a great blessing to me and maybe uh, to you through me. Uh, that they would be a great blessing, but the price on them was a little bit too much for my liking. But in the end, I decided I would purchase them. And I was talking about my purchase of these four volumes, uh, large volumes of these confessions, and I was talking about them to my parents. And they very generously, for my Christmas present, decided that they would purchase them on my behalf. Well, I'd already purchased them. In fact, I was owing money on my credit card for them, and they thankfully stepped in and paid that money that I owed to the credit card company, that they were willing to buy them for me, to pay that debt for me. It's always nice when someone pays a debt for you, when someone pays what you owe, And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at a debt that is paid by someone else. Someone owes a debt and someone then steps in and pays that debt. And that is given to us in that passage that we just looked at, that we just had read for us from Numbers chapter 3. Numbers chapter 3. This is an obscure part of the Bible for many Christians. As they look at this together, they're asking, where does this sort of fit into Christian history? Where does it fit into Israelite history? How does this passage arise in the Bible? So I thought I'd give a quick introduction as to how this has come about. Basically, the Bible starts with Genesis and the creation of the world. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates all things. And then after a bunch of people are descending from Adam, someone comes along who is very important, and that is Abraham. God speaks to Abraham and chooses Abraham to be the founder of a great nation that he will continue to bless over the centuries. And, of course, that is the nation of Israel. Israel is the grandson of Abraham, and from him you have the 12 tribes of Israel. Those sons that come from Israel end up in Egypt, and while they're in Egypt, they suffer a lot. Uh, They are enslaved, and eventually God brings them out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. Moses brings them into the desert... And there they're given many instructions from the Lord. And that is what is happening here in the book of Numbers. The Israelites are in the desert. They're on the way from Egypt to the promised land. They're in the middle. And while they're there in the middle, God speaks to them and gives them a lot of commands, which are contained in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So the first... Uh, the the 
the books one, two, three, four, and five of the Old Testament. And so there they learn a lot about how they are to worship God. And that's what Numbers 3 has for us. It has commands from the Lord to Moses as to what the Israelites are to do. In particular, they're commanded how they are to pay a debt to the Lord, a debt that they owe to the Lord. And that is by the Levites, the whole tribe of Levi, serving God as priests. The Levites are to serve God as priests as payment for a debt owed to God. And that brings me to my first main point this morning. The Levites were a substitute for the firstborn Israelites. The Levites were a substitute for the firstborn Israelites. We see in this passage that the Levites are a payment for a debt that is owed to God. And we read that in verse 11 of Numbers chapter 3. I encourage you to have the church Bible open before you, page 130, as we work through this passage together. Numbers chapter 3, verse 11, we read, The Lord also said to Moses, I have taken the Levites, so that's one of the twelve tribes of Israel, from among the Israelites in place of the first male offspring of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine, for all the firstborn are mine. When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel. Whether man or animal, they are to be mine, I am the Lord. When God struck down the firstborn in Egypt, what happened that night? Well, the firstborn of the Israelites was spared, and on that night, the firstborn of the Israelites became the Lord's. They were owed to the Lord. And so they now have a debt. The Israelites now have a debt that is owing to the Lord, and that is to be paid by the Israelites. So if you look back in Exodus chapter 12, we see that this happens. Exodus chapter 12, verse 29, we see the, Israel, uh, the firstborn are struck down. Turn with me to page 66 to get yourselves familiar with the Exodus and what happens that night. The Egyptians had sinned a lot against God. They'd enslaved the Israelites. And then they had refused to let the Israelites go. Namely, Pharaoh had refused to let the Israelites go. A series of plagues had happened. Nine had taken place. And then, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 29, the last and final plague takes place. Verse 29, we read, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. The Egyptians had sinned grievously against God. that refused to listen to God's word. And as a result, the firstborn from every household was struck down that night. Why the firstborn? Well, of course, the firstborn son is the most valued particularly in that culture. I mean, if you only have one son and he is taken, then you're not going to have anyone else to inherit the family and to look after the parents in their old age. You may only get one son. And, of course, he is very prized when he comes along. And so God takes that prized possession from those families that the firstborn son is struck down that night. But the Israelites were evil too. 
they weren't in the same category as the Egyptians. They weren't said to be uh, refusing God's word in the way that Pharaoh stubbornly was. But we've got to remember that the Israelites were sinners as well. It wasn't as though God came through, struck down all the firstborn sons of those who were evil, and the Israelites were righteous, and so God passed over them. No, we see on that night that the Israelites had to do something if they were to avoid this plague of firstborn children being struck down. And we see that in Exodus chapter 12, verse 22. Exodus chapter 12, verse 22. What are the Israelites to do? Exodus chapter 12, verse 22, which is found page 65. So just turn back one page if you're in Exodus already. Exodus chapter 12, verse 22 We read, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. If the Israelites were perfect... Why would they need to put this blood on the door frames? Why would they need to take the Passover lamb's blood and put it up on the door frames of their houses? They weren't perfect. They had sinned against God as well. They deserved to have their children struck down as the Egyptians had their children struck down. And so that night, the lamb's blood is put on the door frames so that God would not strike down their children. And so from that night... God had taken the firstborn to belong to him. He should have taken them that night in death, but instead from now on they belong to him. And if you turn with me to Exodus chapter 13, go over the page again, Exodus chapter 13 verse 1, we read in verse 1 of Exodus 13, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. Those firstborn sons now belong to God. They're on borrowed time, basically. They should have been struck down. But now they belong to the Lord instead. And then we come to this passage in Numbers chapter 3, where we see that part of that debt that is owing to the Lord for these firstborn sons being spared is paid by the Israelites. That God accepts the whole tribe of Levi in place of the firstborn sons. And we see that in verse 11 of Numbers chapter 3. Turn with me back to page 130. Numbers chapter 3, verse 130. I'm sorry, verse 11, page 130, 130. Verse 11, Numbers 3, it says there, as we read before, The Lord also said to Moses, I have taken the Levites from among the Israelites in place of the first male offspring of every Israelite woman. From now on, the Levites are mine in place of all those firstborn sons that I spared that dark night in Egypt. Which demonstrates that the lamb's blood really was insufficient to cover those firstborn sons. There's still a debt owing to the Lord. A lamb was not sufficient. And so now these humans, these male humans, these Levites, are to be the substitute for the rest of the firstborn Israelite males to pay that debt that is owing to the Lord. And so Moses makes sure 
that the Levites become that substitute as God has commanded. God commands it in verses 11 through to verse 13. And then Moses goes through and counts all the Levites, as we see in verses 14 and following. Verses 14 and following, we read, The Lord said to Moses in the desert of Sinai, Count the Levites by their families and clans. Count every male a month old or more. So Moses counted them as he was commanded by the word of the Lord. So Moses now goes on this big counting, uh, doing this big census, and he's doing a census of the Levites. How many Levite males are there that are one month old or more? And so we see him do that. In verse 21, we read, To Gershon belonged the clans of the Libnites and Shimeites. These were the Gershonite clans. The number of all the males a month old or more who were counted was 7,500. So we've got there in verse 22, one group of Levites are 7,500. Then we go on to verse 27 where he counts uh, the Kohathites. And in verse 28 we read, The number of all the males a month old or more was 8,600. So we've got 7,500, 8,600. And then he goes on to count again another group of Levites in verse 33 and 34. So he looks at the, uh, the clans of the Malites and the Mushites, and we see in verse 34, the number of all the males a month old or more who were counted was 6,200. 7,500, 8,600, 6,200, they're all counted up. And then we read that they add up to, in verse 39, the total number of the Levites counted at the Lord's command by Moses and Aaron according to their clans, including every male a month old or more, was 22,000. How good's your math? 7,500, 8,600 from verse 28, and then verse 34, 6,200. Does that make 22,000 as reported in verse 39? No, it doesn't. You're actually 300 over. So what's going on here? Is it that the Bible can't do math here? Well, we actually believe that there's an error in verse 28 in the manuscripts that have come through to us. Look at verse 28. It says the number of all the males a month old or more was 8,600. And then there's a little letter B up in the, uh, above that full stop there at the end of verse 28. And that tells you go down to the margin and see something interesting. So you look down to the margin of your NIV translations and it says Hebrew. That means the 8,600 comes from the Hebrew uh, manuscripts. But then it says some Septuagint manuscripts have 8,300. Septuagint manuscripts are those that are Greek translations of the Hebrew Old Testament. And so when we look at those ones, we think, oh, well, why would you look at the Greek instead of the Hebrew? Well, it may be that those Greek translations come from earlier manuscripts, Hebrew manuscripts, than we actually have in existence today. And when you look at the word for three and the word for six in Hebrew, I won't bore you with what they are, but you just drop one letter from three and you get six. So if you take one letter out of the word for three, you end up with the word six. And so what we believe has happened here is that it was 8,300. One of the scribes dropped the letter by accident and we ended up with 600 from then on. And so it is very likely that it was 8,300 that was in the original autograph, the original writing at the time. And so it adds up to 22,000. So here we have the Levites accounted by Moses. They come to 22,000 males. 
They are meant to replace all the firstborn of the Israelites as a debt owing to God. What is the precise number that is owed to the Lord, though? And that is the next thing that Moses has to do. In verse 40, we see that he starts to count all the Israelite males. So not the Levites now, the rest of the Israelites. And what do we read? Verse 40, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Count all the firstborn of Israelite males who are a month old or more and make a list of their names. Take the Levites for me in place of all the firstborn of the Israelites and the livestock of the Levites in place of all the firstborn of the livestock of the Israelites. I am the Lord. Verse 42. So Moses counted all the firstborn of the Israelites, not the Levites, the Israelites, as the Lord commanded him. The total number of firstborn males a month old or more listed by name was 22,273. 22,000 Levites, 22,273 Israelites. That's pretty good. That's almost close to equivalent. Surely the payment is then met. But no, we see that there's 273 sons that there's not a payment for because you've got 22,000 Levites for 22,273 Israelites. Isn't it good enough? One male for maybe one point something of an Israelite male? No, we see that God takes very seriously that the substitute needs to be exact equivalent. And so what do they do to make up for those 273 missing males from the Levites? Well, they have to pay something. And we read that in verse 44 and following. It says, The Lord also said to Moses, Take the Levites in place of all the firstborn of Israel and the livestock of the Levites in place of their livestock. The Levites are to be mine, I am the Lord. To redeem the 273 firstborn Israelites who exceed the number of the Levites, collect five shekels for each one, according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 geras. Give the money for the redemption of the additional Israelites to Aaron and his sons. So Moses collected the redemption money from those who exceeded the number and redeemed, redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the Israelites, he collected the silver, weighing 1,365 shekels, according to the sanctuary shekel. Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons as he was commanded by the word of the Lord. And so if you want to do your math, five shekels per person times 273 equals 1,365, as given in verse 50. So here we see that an exact payment is made for the debt owing to God. From now on, the Levites, as a tribe, are to be gods, which means they are the ones who are the priests of God who are responsible for maintaining the tabernacle, the place of worship where God dwells amongst the Israelites. They are responsible for maintaining that. And you see that in the verses that came previously as it describes each group, what they are personally responsible for. Now, what is the point of all this for us today? Surely this is a part of Israelite history that was many years ago and has absolutely no relevance for us today. Well, the Levites being a substitute for the Israelites who should have been struck down are really a shadow of a greater substitute that was to come. And that is the substitute of Jesus Christ. And that brings me to my second main point this morning. Jesus is a substitute for you. Jesus, when he died on the cross, made a payment for a debt you owe to God. 
like the Egyptians and Israelites, we are all sinners against God. We have not listened to God and his word as we should have and deserve to be punished with death. All of us, not just our firstborn sons, as much as I love my firstborn son, I deserve also to pay for my sins, as do you. Romans 6.23 teaches us, for the wages of sin is death. If you have sinned, then the wages that you must pay for that sin is death. The angel of the Lord could strike you down at any moment and he would be perfectly just to do so because of your sin against God. Just as he was perfectly just to strike down the firstborn of the Israelites so many years ago, he is perfectly just to do that today. So what are you to do? How can you have a substitute for you? so that you do not die for your sins. Well, you don't have a tribe of Levites to offer, do you? Most of us in this room have no Jewish heritage, so to speak, and so we can't claim that the Levites are our substitute. And anyway, the Levites are really just a shadow of a true substitute that was to come, and that is Jesus Christ. The substitutes in the Old Testament were never sufficient to pay for sin. The Passover lamb, he wasn't sufficient, otherwise the Levites wouldn't have been demanded later on. And the Levites weren't sufficient, or otherwise Christ would not have needed to come. They are faulty. The lamb is not a human. How can it pay, possibly pay, for your sins? An animal in place of a human. Animals are wonderful, but they're not as valuable as humans. They cannot pay the price that we owe. And the Levites, they have their own sin problem. They need to atone for their own sin. They all deserve to be struck down as well. So how can they make up for others when they deserve punishment themselves? And so Christ's substitution is the only perfect substitution. In the Old Testament, it's all these shadows of the real thing, Jesus Christ. All the sacrifices, the substitution of the lamb, the substitution of the Levites, even the the paying of those five shekels, those redemption prices that were set, they're just shadows pointing to the need for Jesus Christ to be your substitute because he is the perfect substitute. He is human, unlike the Passover lamb. He's male And he's that firstborn of Mary and of God. He is of great value. He is the male heir of God. And he was then struck down so that you could go free. And it was effective. The Bible teaches us that Jesus as the sinless one, unlike the Levites, he is the sinless high priest. He, when he was struck down at the cross, he paid for the sins of of many. We read in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, the sinless one, for the unrighteous, the sinful ones, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. Jesus pays that debt that is owing, and he pays it in full. Jesus pays for every single person that he desires to save. Just as we see that there was an exact number required to pay of Levites 
required to pay for the Israelites, so Jesus pays for an exact number of people. His death atones every single person whom God elects for salvation. We call this the doctrine of limited atonement, that Christ's atonement is limited to exactly those for whom God has chosen for salvation. Christ's death is not this death where he pays for everybody's sin. No, it's a precise death for a precise number of people. And we see this taught in the New Testament. Romans 8 verse 33 says, Who will bring any charge against whom God has chosen? Who brings a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus pays the price of those whom God has chosen and intercedes for us, as in the church Paul is speaking about. Ephesians 5.25 alludes to this as well. Ephesians 5.25, one of those famous text because it's read out of pretty much every Christian wedding, where it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for everyone. No, he gave himself up for her. Gave himself up for the church. And in John chapter 17, verse 9, we have the great high priest prayer where Jesus says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus intercedes for his people. For his people. And his death was for those who belong to him. Which makes sense. One of my problems with a doctrine of unlimited atonement is that how could Christ pay the penalty that is deserved for everyone in the world and then God sends some of those people to hell regardless. If Christ has already paid for their sin, isn't God then unjust to send people to hell if the payment has been made? If the payment's been made, the payment's been made and nothing else is owing. And God is a God of justice. He wouldn't send people to hell to pay for sins that Christ has already paid for. No, Christ pays for an exact number of people, just like we see here in Numbers chapter 3, a careful, meticulous counting of the Levites and of the Israelites and then making sure the right amount of money is put forward to make up for the transgressions of the Israelites. And so Jesus pays for a precise number. Who does Jesus pay for, though? Well, as I said, it's for those whom God has chosen, those who belong to him. Who are those who belong to God? Those who trust in him. Jesus is the payment for those who trust him, who trust that he died in their place. The Bible again and again tells us that if we believe in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life because of his work at the cross. And so then one day we can go into the heavenly place because of the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is now the great high priest who guards the way into heaven. Remember that with the Israelite, uh, Levites there when we read through? What was their job? After they were substitutes, they then guarded the holy place so that no one could go in. 
uh, Numbers chapter 3, verse 38. It says, Moses and Aaron and his sons were to camp to the east of the tabernacle towards the sunrise in front of the tent of meeting. Then we read, they were responsible for the care of the sanctuary on behalf of the Israelites. Anyone else who approached the sanctuary were to be put to death. That's the job of the Levites, to keep people, sinful people, away from God in his presence that is there in the community. And now Jesus is the one that is between us and God. But wonderfully, if you trust in Jesus Christ, you are then become a part of Christ. You become in him and you can then go into the Holy of Holies. You can then go into heaven itself if you turn from your sins and trust that Jesus Christ died for you. So I encourage you, if you're not someone who has done, for that, done that in your life, if you never turn from your if you continue to try and justify the sin in your life, I'm not that bad a person. At least I'm not like those Egyptians who were so awful to the Israelites. Remember, the Israelites were sinners too. They owed a debt to God, and they were meant to be God's people, had had much revealed to them. We are all sinners, myself included. We all need to pay for our sin or have someone else step in for us. We love it when someone steps in for us and pays a debt. I loved it when my parents decided to buy those four volumes for me. It's lovely. There's nothing in comparison to Jesus Christ stepping in to pay that debt that you need to pay for eternity otherwise in hell. He steps in and is that substitute for you if you will trust in him. Do it today. Don't delay. Jesus is standing there with a credit card that is much greater than anything you can imagine. And he pays that debt for you. Trust in him. And if you are a Christian, continue to delight in the fact that Jesus pays the debt that you owe, that he is the perfect substitute. You don't offer a lamb to God. You don't offer a Levite to God in all his sinfulness. You offer Jesus Christ in all his perfections. And his death is indeed sufficient for your sins. This should give us great joy. A debt, a grievous debt that we owe has been paid. We should delight in that and want to make it known to those around us so that they too can enjoy the eternal life that Jesus brings and enjoy it with us for all eternity with him. Let's come to God in prayer. Let us speak to him. Heavenly Father, we admit to you that we owe you a debt, that the wages of sin is death, and we have indeed sinned against you. Lord, we thank you that Jesus dies the death that we deserve, that he was struck down, not on that night of the Exodus, but many millennia later, and he was struck down so that we would not be struck down for our sins. Lord, we pray that anyone in this room who is not trusted in Jesus Christ may do so. May they have Jesus pay the debt that they owe. And Lord, we pray for us in this room who have enjoyed Jesus Christ being that substitute for us. We pray that we may enjoy it all the more as a result of studying your word. Lord, we no longer look at shadows like the Levites and the Passover lamb, but we look at Jesus Christ himself, the reality. And so, Lord, we pray that we would delight in him. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.